So in John chapter 10 here, verse 10, I love this verse from Jesus here. It's a cool verse. The thief comes uh, to... Uh, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you might have life and they may have it more abundantly. That is such an important scripture to hold on to and to meditate on. Our Lord's desire for us is abundant life. And there's a lot that can be said here. Uh, this has to do with eternal life. And it's a big deal in John's gospel. It shows up a lot. And this can only come through Jesus. He's the source of it. Very important that we get that. It's a, and here, in the original Greek here, the, the word life, it means a higher quality of life. A superior form of life that spills out into the natural realm that we starts in the spirit for us. And Jesus wants us to have this type of life abundantly. And uh, yet, you know, we're in a battle. As long as we're in this physical body, this side of heaven, there is an enemy, Satan, a thief, who wants to come and steal this abundant life from us. For us, for him, for us to experience the Lord's abundant life shows he's defeated, which he is. And he wants to make sure that you don't have abundant life. So let's make him miserable and have abundant life. Amen. So we see here that the enemy, the evil one, he battles against us, I want to briefly say in three ways in this area, when we're looking at abundant life here. First of all, he battles against us not to put the word of God into our hearts. There's a constant, thank you, a constant battle not to put the word of God in our hearts. Because all of God's promises are found in his word. That we put our faith in, that the uh, grace of God is poured out into our lives. Find the promises in his word. I believe what I see. I, I believe it whether I see it or not. And I hold on to his promises greater than what I see. I've got a promise book here. And uh, they're all found in his word. And we see here that God reveals who he is to us in the word of God. That's how we can get to know him in his word. Because apart from his word... We can't know the almightiness of the God of the universe, who now is my Father God. So I get to know him, his mind, through the word of God. And of course, he reveals his prophetic plan through his word. So our abundant life is very much directly related to what we do with the word of God. And Jesus is the word of God, we, we, have, we see in John. So, but so if we don't sow the word of God in us, then we're harmless to the enemy. We're harmless to the dominion of darkness. So he doesn't want, you know, the enemy does not want us to put God's word in us. So we need to know there's a battle for that. The second battle is that he wants to keep us, the enemy wants to keep us from having a, um, a vibrant personal communion with Jesus. Doesn't want to see you talking to the Lord. Doesn't want to see you having time in the Lord's presence. Because that shows he's defeated. And you get stronger. And the will of God gets manifested. As it is in heaven, so it is on earth. Through us. We are the vessels he uses. The enemy doesn't want that. So he doesn't want us to have a vibrant, personal communication with the Lord. Again, time in his word. Time in his presence. Time to fellowship with Jesus. This should always be the highlight of my day. When do I get to fellowship with Jesus today undistracted, right? 
So we get all these distractions that come our way to keep us from this. And some of them are important things you have to do, and they're distractions. Uh, so it's through these distractions of this world age that we live in that the enemy tries to keep us from this personal walk with the Lord. We'll talk more on that later. Uh, he brings us, uh, the Lord brings us uh, uh, things into our life, and uh, the enemy wants to bring a, a competition for the attention of the Word of God in our hearts. He wants something to compete with the Word of God in our hearts. So there are constant battles that we'll face every day. And uh, you know, where did the time go today? What happened today? My gosh, my time got all messed up today. Hey, you're in a battle. And we don't see the story behind the story. Uh, and uh, sometimes there's weeks like that, months like that, issues that come up. And why are all these things happening? They're distractions to, okay, so you don't pray, so you don't have time with the Lord, so you don't have time in the Word of God. I'm living on planet Earth, right? Did everybody here experience similar things? All right, number three here, both of these issues here are battles uh, that we focus our, our attention on. And uh, the enemy wants us very distracted. Christians today, um, all, over, all over this nation, are in love with this world age. First John tells us not to love this world age. Love not the world. Now, I know people on a Wednesday night, you're a more serious crowd than most crowds that come out. The Wednesday night crowd tends to be far more serious. But on a Sunday morning, you don't know who's out there. You have the faithful of God. You have people not even saved. You have people that are spectators, and they go to church for some religious reason, but they have no interest in having a communion with God. Why they're here, I have no idea. Uh, but you have a crowd out there on a Sunday. You never assume everybody out there on a Sunday morning is just in love with Jesus. No, they're not. Some are, but they're usually in a smaller minority. Uh, I would like to believe our own church is a little better. But on a Wednesday night, you get a far more serious uh, group of people here, as we've always had over the years. So I'm not talking to you specifically, but it's an understanding we have to have that a big problem we have today in Christianity is they're in love with this world age. And the love of the world is a distraction. It robs our time. You have to remember... The evil one is a thief, and he robs our time. And as I had said here more than once, your time is far more valuable than money. Your time is far more valuable than anything you have. Time, once it's gone, you can never get it back again. Time is extremely valuable. And uh, the, the enemy wants our time robbed, distracted. Uh, so this has been a really big issue, especially since World War II, the end of World War II. Uh, where we've had a flood in the communication media in our lives coming at us. And it's produced a change in our culture and how we think, and it has led to a much greater selfishness than we've ever experienced in America prior. Uh, some examples here. The, the big issue of mass media, television, uh, music, movies, sports, I'm not telling you to blow up your TVs, don't get me wrong, but all this mass uh, media today has produced thinking in Americans like, you've heard this, hey, this is my time. I live for the weekends. You deserve a break today. 
Do you know those were all foreign thoughts prior to 1950? Americans never thought like that. They were told to think like that from the uh, mass media of the culture we have. And especially since the 60s, the American culture moves from uh, one pleasure to the next. It's a pleasure-driven culture. And just like the Roman Empire was of days past. And if you study the fall of the Roman Empire, that was one of the reasons of their fall. Too much leisure time. Too much time to, uh, let's go from one pleasure to another. They lived for the pleasure. Or most societies and cultures lived to work so they could sustain themselves in their lives. Today, work is almost a dirty word. My gosh, Europe, don't they have, what, three or four day work weeks in some places? Why? Well, it's their economy is, is, is very different, but more pleasure time. Uh, it's amazing. So, uh, so many Christians now have been swept along with that. Uh, there was a great Christian theologian. He's gone home to be with the Lord. Um, uh, I was going to say Maxwell. That's, that's not the guy's name. Uh, oh, it's just, just lost, lost my mind. On it. Okay, anyway, trust me, he's a real good guy. And he said, um, look at what the world is doing today. The church will copy it six years from now. Francis Schaeffer. Look at what the world is doing today, and in six years from now, the, world will, uh, the church will copy it. That's a heavy statement. And that is a problem, especially since the 60s, the church more and more resembles the world, where you can't tell the difference. Not all churches, but those at least call themselves the church in America. And that's a pretty profoundly serious issue. The American Christians have been swept along with the culture. So it seems to me um, that when folks get born again and find Christ as their Savior, one of the first lessons they should ever have is love not the world. All right, so all this tonight leads to my topic tonight. If you turn with me to John 15, it will be on the overhead here. Um, uh, I'd like to look at tonight a topic called removing hindrances to fruitfulness. Being fruitful is a big deal for me in what I teach. One topic I happen to like. Uh, we, and the, uh, the evil one wants, our, wants us to be fruitless, that we don't bear fruit. And we should be, so we should not be unaware of this. That's his plan, that you would not bear fruit. Because if you bear fruit, it shows his, his dominion is destroyed and is being destroyed. So what, these, are, these are schemes of his that would uh, cause us to be unfruitful. So we need to remove what hinders us. And I'm not implying this is a hindered crowd, don't get me wrong. But any of us can be subject to that. So let's go to John here in chapter 15. Is Jesus speaking in verses 1 to 8. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. Now, the comment there, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but uh, if they want a, an apple tree to bear fruit, they practically cut it down to a stump. And you think these people are out of their mind what they just did to the apple tree. Yet, in the next year, it grows branches all over the place in less than a year with apples. One of the strangest things I ever saw, I was outside of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania, and there was this open field, and they had just had these little sticks sticking out of the ground. 
They were little branches of an apple tree. I said to the guy with me, what's this? He said, oh, that's an apple farm. Where's the trees? They don't use them anymore. They just take the branches, put them in the ground with certain nutrients, and they bear apples right on the branches. I said, you've got to be kidding me. It was a whole field of just sticks sticking out of the ground. I was like, are you serious? He said, yes. This particular farm sells apples commercially, and that's how they do it. You've got to be kidding me. I never saw anything like that before. So, yes, uh, the, the branch is very important here. Uh, okay, and every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. That's the point. And it bears more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and gathered them and thrown them into the fire and they're burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. And verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So if I want to be a disciple of Jesus, I need to be one that bears fruit. How can you tell a disciple of Jesus? They bear fruit. If they don't bear fruit, I don't know what they are. Disciples of Jesus bear fruit. And we see here in verse 8 here, that's the goal we're going to have as long as we are in this body, this side of heaven, to bear fruit for the kingdom. And in fact, not just fruit, much fruit. Now, how that fruit is defined, you will bear fruit I can't bear, I will bear fruit you won't bear, etc. But the fruit we bear is for the kingdom of God. Okay, so this is a byproduct of Jesus' abundant life that he wants to live through us. Uh, so this is a byproduct of sowing the word of God into us uh, and sowing the word seed into us. Another way to look at the word of God is this is a book of seeds. It's been called word seed. I like that. This is a book of word seed that we plant in our hearts. So the enemy here, the evil one, is, his goal is to prevent us from becoming fruitful, to hinder our fruitfulness. I said before, with distractions and obstacles that come our way, so our focus is taking off of what really matters. I mean, one tactic in warfare is to get the enemy uh, uh, put their eyes on something that is not important, so they're distracted, so your army can move in more easily. Uh, things like that. Uh, for example, in World War II, they used to use rubber tanks and uh, fake armies to make the Germans think that was a real army when that would just distract them and pull them away from what really mattered. Uh, things like that. Distractions cause armies to move forward. But anyway, so here, let's go to Mark chapter 4 to shed a little more light on this. And we'll end here today on, in Mark 4. It's a long reading, a very good reading. Uh, Mark 4 is one of those classic areas of uh, the gospel that Jesus teaches us that is just chock full of so much important information. Or in Mark 4, in verse 1, Again he began to teach by the sea, and there's a great multitude that gathered to him, and so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. 
and the whole multitude were on the land facing the sea. And when he was facing, he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teachings, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now this is very common. Even today, rabbis tell stories. The, the, the how rabbis can tell stories are considered wise rabbis. So Jesus, of course, is telling a parable here, a story, still common there in the first century of teaching people by story. Rabbis today did the same thing. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed, some of the seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up, but because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, and it, scorched, it was scorched because it had no root, it withered away. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and it yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. He said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone with his disciples, alone with the twelve, asked him about the paragraph, parable, and he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may not, they may see, Seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sin should be forgiven. Now, you got to remember, his comments here are talking about unbelieving Israel who is rejecting him. That they don't want to hear his words, they don't want to believe. I'm talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. Verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you all understand all parables? So this is a foundational parable here. Verse 4. And then now Jesus starts to explain what he just said to only his disciples. The sower sows the word. And those are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which was sown in their hearts. And you know, that doesn't stop today. When you ask most people, maybe an hour after they've left church, what did they speak on? They go, um, um, good things. They already forgot. Wow. How quickly the enemy comes to steal the word of God. One time, President Coolidge, uh, in the 1920s, he left church. And uh, his, I don't know where it was, in the White House or something. And someone said to him, so what did they speak on in church today? Uh, what did the preacher speak on in church? Sin. What did he have to say? He was opposed to it. Coolidge didn't talk much. <laughs> I think, I think then he said, I want to recount or something. I don't know. But Coolidge has a strange sense of humor. Uh, but we have here, um, so this is the foundational paragraph here, verse 13. Verse 4. Oh, yes, we did that already. Verse 5. Uh, no, that's verse 15. Verse 16. These likewise are the ones who are sown on, on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves. So they endure only for a time. Afterward, when the tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Verse 18, now these are the ones who are sown among the thorns. 
For they hear, the ones who hear the word, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Verse 20, but these are the ones on the, or sown on good ground who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit some 30, 60, and 100-fold. Okay, there's a lot we could do in looking at this parable tonight. We could spend a few weeks on this. This is a biggie. There's a lot being said here. But this parable can also be applied and understood in many ways. Uh, perhaps before a person receives Christ as their Savior, all these are battlefields for salvation. So also, when we're looking at this, we're looking at areas that we can pray more effectively for our friends and loved ones to receive Christ. This is a great prayer model. Here you have the hardened heart. If you have relatives that are, you're trying to sow the word of God to, and they have hardened hearts, that's what you pray, that the hard soil of their heart be broken, broken up. Obstacles for the word of God. Uh, some folks are just so much in love with the things they have in this world, it's an obstacle for them. That's a prayer area, that the, uh, that the obstacles that they have created be removed from their lives. The other one here is uh, competing things that choke the word of God and its fruitfulness. And then there's the good soil. We can pray for folks that they would have good soil that the word be sown in. Because anytime we're sharing the word of God with anyone, you're sowing, right? And, but we need to have their heart receptive to the word of God. So it gives us a little clue and help on us and how we pray for folks that need to receive the Lord. Okay, but after a person receives Jesus as Lord, okay, and is growing in Christ, now these become solical issues regarding fruitfulness in the kingdom of God, which is closer to what I'm talking to tonight. And then I want to concentrate on two areas here. First, we notice in verse 16, it says here, uh, likewise, the one sown on stony ground, stony ground, which is a ground that has rocks, or obstacles. Okay, rocks or obstacles. Then in verse 18, it talks about, now these are the ones sown among the thorns. The thorns are things that crowd and compete with the Word of God. All right? And both are hindrances and distractions to fruitfulness. Uh, they bring our attention away from what matters, and they hinder the seed growth of the Word of God in our lives because we were meant to spend time in His presence. We don't need obstacles in the way. We don't need things to compete with our time with the Lord, but they do. So that then becomes the focus, the rocks and the thorns. Now notice here in both soils, the rocky soil and the thorny soil, it's no longer a seed. It changed. It's now beginning to grow. Only on the hard soil did it bounce off. In these soils, it started to grow already. And the enemy can't steal it when it starts to grow. Because it talks about in the Word of God, I think in Peter, that um, the Word is imperishable that's sown in us. It doesn't die. God's seed produces fruit. It, he has good seed. Ah, there's a bad one there. No, no, he has good seed. It always works. We're the problem. So here, the enemy can't steal it, like on the hard ground, or it never had a chance to grow. Now here he doesn't steal it. In this ground, we have to give it up. And that's where the rocks and the thorns come in. 
Believers receive the word of God. They have joy in it. And then come the rocks and the obstacles and the thorns in their lives so that they would not be fruitful. Here's where the enemy puts pressures in our lives. Why? To give up the word of God so that you won't put faith in these promises, that you won't put faith in what you do not see, that you won't put what you do not see higher in your heart than what you do see. He doesn't want that. So he puts pressure on us in our lives uh, that we would fall away from a relationship and stay close to Jesus. And he applies pressure to our lives to hinder us. And, you know, probably common to everyone, right, there's financial pressures. There's uh, work-related pressures. A lot of people you meet, they hate their jobs. The Lord wants us to have want-to jobs, not have-to jobs. But a lot of folks don't. A lot of folks have to work, and they don't like the job they have, and they don't like how they're treated or what they have to do or whatever, and that becomes a stress. Um, family pressures, another big area for a lot of people's lives. A lot of people deal with family pressures, either within their marriage, their homes, their extended families, brothers, sisters, whatever, their families, <laughs> a lot of pressures. And the, what these are are thorns that get in the way, to steal your time away, to occupy your mind so the Word of God won't occupy your mind, to make you think the worst is going to come instead of believing God for the best. These are all thorns and obstacles that come our way. Because bear in mind, for, for the believer, it's natural for the believer to bear fruit. It's unnatural for the believer not to bear fruit. So not being fruitful does not produce happiness in us. It produces an unhappiness, right? Uh, so uh, it goes against our nature. You know, these used to be a, a classic question. If, if a bird is in a gilded cage, he shouldn't be happy. He's all caged up, but yet he sings. Why, so the question, I don't know where this came from, why does the bird in the gilded cage sing? The answer is, it's his nature to sing. It's our nature to bear fruit. That's normal for us. We tick for that. Sometimes it's not, it bypasses your head. It, we tick for this. So when we're not able to do this, it's a frustrating experience. And here we have the obstacles of life. Rocks are these obstacles. They're stumbling blocks. Thorns are competition. And sometimes these can be interchangeable. But they're there to compete so the Word of God doesn't take first place in our thoughts. So the Word of God doesn't take first place in our lives. Believing the Word of God, speaking the Word of God out of our mouths maybe doesn't come first. Too many people, when you hear their conversation, they talk about the problem. They never talk about the solution. They don't have the Word in them to have that. Wow, that's sad. That should not be. When you hear people talk more about the problem than the solution, they're lacking the solution of the Word of God in them. The problem has been so magnified, they can't see the Word of God. And the enemy goes, well, they're finished. Let's go to the next one. So here, rocks. Let's take a look at this briefly. Rocks. Rocks are obstacles in our hearts. They prevent that word seedling from getting deeper roots. They're hard and well-established. Uh, so what's in the way? What rocks are in the way? And by the way, it's not your spouse. People are quick to, well, that woman I had. No, it's not your spouse. Your spouse is not the rock. No, 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 no. Uh, very often, these are very selfish things that we have put in our hearts. Selfishness could, that could be careers, possessions we have, 
hobbies we have, things that we desire in our hearts that are bigger than Jesus. They're in the way. And that's more common than you could ever think. These are areas in our lives where we have not surrendered to Christ. Areas in our lives where he's not the Lord and Master. We don't want him there. We have created our own rocks. Many do not want the Lord, Lord over their money. Giving's a dirty word to them, or a frightful word. Many do not want the Lord, Lord over their families. Many people worship their families. Many people do not want the Lord, Lord over their sexuality, and honor the Lord with their sexuality. Many people do not want the Lord over their possessions. Their possessions to them have a higher value in their hearts than the Lord. This is a common human condition. They're rocks. We put them there. The enemy puts the temptating thought, the, the, the temptation, and we embrace it because we think of ourselves first. And uh, if we don't remove these rocks, we're becoming uh, unfruitful. We're hindering our own fruitfulness. We're hindering that abundant life that the Lord wants us to have and making the enemy very happy. We do it to ourselves. So many people, oh, the enemy's attacking me. No, actually, you've done it to yourself, but you don't see it. Thorns. These are anything that competes with Jesus and his word in our hearts. And here's where the love of this world age comes in. Uh, this is where the media has filled our minds with things that compete on what we focus on in our hearts. Thorns can be worries. They compete with the Word of God. Worry and the Word of God don't go together. They compete with the Word of God. Cares can choke the Word of God out of you. And some people are in constant fear of what could happen in the future or constant fear of what could happen with what they own or whatever. They're constantly in fear, worrying, and that's choking the Word of God out of them. Love of this world age and the cares that go along with it will choke the Word of God out of us and will choke our relationship with Jesus. These are big deals, especially for American Christians. When we worry, when we care, we're not trusting in Christ. We're trusting in ourselves to fix it, just like we did when we didn't have a Savior. Trusting in our own wits, our own intellect, our own education, our own strengths, before all trust in Jesus, which becomes really more, nothing more than pride. Pride holds people in this area where there are thorns in their body and in, 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 their, in their soul realm. Uh, common choking things today in the world we live in, pornography is a big one. Uh, sinful desires. You know, it's inhumanity to be sinful. That's why we have to die to self and go to the cross. That sin wouldn't have a hold over us. Why? Because it chokes the fruitfulness of the word. Uh, unforgiveness is a big one. Uh, thorns, hey, thorns hurt, don't they? So deep resentment towards others, we hurt ourselves. It's like thorns pushing right into us that we've created. I, I, I cannot say enough. When we sin against the law of love, we are hindering ourselves in our relationship with the Lord. And certainly unforgiveness is sinning against the, uh, the law of love. Wow. So what do we do with all these things? I don't want to spend a long time here tonight on this. I think it's kind of easy to understand. First of all, we need to look to our own lives. And we need to find the rocks, the obstacles that are there. And no one's immune from it. 
We need to find the thorns. What are those things competing in me with the Lord? This is where we really start to grow in Christ, where we're really honest when we look at our hearts between you and the Lord when you have that time, and we start to renounce them. And that's the key here. Once you've found them, you kill them. And killing them could mean remove them from your life. I have known people who have left good jobs because it was almost impossible for them to walk with the Lord and be in the job they were in. So they'll get a job somewhere else or they won't have that kind of competition. That takes great Christian maturity to make a decision like that. I have met many people like that. Um, I have, uh, there was this one famous evangelist. He loved bowling. And there's nothing wrong with bowling. But bowling in his heart was real big. He was very good at it. He probably could be on a professional level. And, but it was competing in his heart for what the Lord wanted him to do. So one day, true story, he goes to a bowling alley, throws a ball, and all of a sudden he hears inside of him, son, you just threw your last bowling ball. And it came with great conviction, and he never threw another one again. Now he had the maturity to notice, I love that too much, where it really became an obstacle. Uh, sports can be that for people. Uh, oh my gosh, they're nuts when it comes to sports. I don't get it. There's nothing wrong with sports, but they turn it into an, an absolute idol. Uh, amazes me, amazes me. So basically, we need to kill these, remove them. And uh, we need to renounce them. Remember water baptism, what they ask you. And people say, I renounce sin and Satan and all the works of darkness. Right? We need to be doing that more often in our hearts. I renounce the obstacles that the enemy has for me. I renounce those thorns because, my Lord Jesus, you're more important to me. Show me, Lord, what I don't see. That's a good prayer. Show me, Lord, what I don't understand. Those are good prayers. It's okay. What am I not seeing right, Lord? What am I not getting right? Help me to know that. That's a good prayer because it shows you're searching and you want to know. Uh, so, you know, then we make these decisions in our hearts because repent means turn around in a different direction. Uh, not playing with them, not letting them go, but putting them in a different direction. And uh, then we make these changes in our lives and live accordingly. And God's grace will be there for us to help us when we make these decisions. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. This isn't something that, well, you're on your own now. No, 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 no. His grace is right there to come alongside of us. As it says, and I believe it's in Titus, the grace that teaches us to say no. I like that. The grace that teaches us to say no. That's in us. And here in, um, lastly here in, uh, to mention in uh, verse 17, it talks about no root in themselves. Uh, we need deeper roots. I've spoken about this before on Wednesday nights um, this year. Uh, wherever, wherever we're at in our personal walk with the Lord, we can still go deeper. None of us has arrived. That's a very personal thing. How do I go deeper? It's very personal for each of us because to get deeper roots requires more water. Deeper roots always want more water. And when we get more water, that produces greater fruit. So that's a very personal thing. Too many people in, in Christianity, they just coast from year to year, and there's no real growth in their lives. We need to be growing in Christ, dying to self, finding out where, I need to remove the obstacles or what obstacles am I allowing now in my life 
what, what thorns, uh, what competition I'm allowing now in my life that is in the way. And that's a kind of the source, really, an answer for a lot of folks who say, you know, I don't feel I'm very fruitful as a, as a Christian. Or I don't think I'm getting uh, the things accomplished I want to see accomplished as a believer. You might just found obstacles that you have. Thorns that you have that you just got to let go of. And the Lord will give you light in that. So there's, uh, this is a really simple thing, yes? This isn't hard. So let's just go to prayer here. Just bow your hearts before the Lord. You know, uh, if you have pencil and paper, that would help. You can easily do this at home. Uh, let's uh, ask the Lord today. Uh, Lord, reveal to us what areas of our lives where we have not allowed you to be Lord and Master. What obstacles am I tolerating in my life where you're just not Lord? I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to talk to me about this. I don't want to hear anything about it. This is mine. You can't touch it. What are those rocks that we have in the way? And Lord, we now want to look to obstacles in our hearts, those thorns that we have that are choking our relationship with you. Lord, reveal to us what, what in us is choking our relationship with you. Where is there unforgiveness? Where is there bitterness, selfishness? Where are we angry with you? Where we have no place to be angry with you. Where have we just put ourselves on the thrones of our heart and knocked you off? Lord, reveal these places to us so that we can set things right. As I said, Lord, before, reveal to us what we are not getting right. Reveal to us what we just don't understand. For Father God, we hold nothing back from you tonight. We want to see... Uh, what your will for us come to pass in our generation. I want to be used of you, Lord, in our generation. And lastly, Lord, we just look to you and ask, where do we need to go deeper? What do we need to do? What areas do we need to go deeper in? Is it more time in prayer? Is it more time in your word? Is it more time in serving my brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it more time in learning how to excel in the grace of giving? Where are those areas, Father, where I need to go deeper that declares your lordship in my life? Father God, as I close in prayer tonight for all my brothers and sisters here and those that would be listening to this on a podcast perhaps, Father, we want to live the abundant life that Jesus has for us. I don't want any hindrances to it, Father. I know you don't want me to have a little bit. You want me to have it all. Help me, Father, that I would learn to walk in that, to have it all. That I will not hinder your will for my life to be used of you in this generation. Why well, I want the abundant life, Father God. I want that abundant Zoe life from heaven to flood me so that I can be a blessing to everyone I come in contact with, Lord. Father God, we thank you for that tonight. That you would begin a new work here, Lord, tonight. Whether we feel it or not, we believe it and say so in our hearts. 
And in the days ahead, we will see this worked out. We believe, Father, tonight's a change night for us personally, Lord. We yield ourselves to you, Father. We hold nothing back. We open ourselves up to you and just yield to you, Lord, and ask Holy Spirit to just bring us into a higher and newer dimension with deeper roots with you in these days ahead. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? amen. Then you just sealed it. Amen.